A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slug, Stardate 68. These are the continued voyages of, of me and Mark as we watch all of all of Star Trek. Uh, hey, how you doing, Mark? How you been? Pretty good. I, uh, I've i been getting seriously back into Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> That's, I, I wouldn't have guessed that was what you were going to say if I'd had a million years. <laughs> no, I ages ago, I got a hold of um, the Dragon Ball Z Kakarot game. For the PlayStation, right? Uh, and I didn't, I didn't play very much. I, I, I sort of gave it a, a, about an hour. Um, the, the problem was, I, I used to have a friend. Still have a friend. I still have at least one. But he worked for Sony, uh, so he would. I'm not going to mention who he is, uh, in case he gets fired from a job that he left five years ago. But uh, he used to get basically free copies of games. Um, okay. So he'd wing them out to us, like, if anyone wants anything, just tell me. And I'm like, I want Dragon Ball Z. But the problem is. When you get something for free, you maybe, especially if you have a backlog of games that you've paid for, you, you maybe don't give it much credence. But I thought, ah, I finished. Um, what the fuck did I finish recently? Zelda. So I thought, I'll, I'll play something else. Uh, so I started playing this game. Then I was like, oh. And I said this to Laura. I said, if my brain has a computer um, that has finite space, uh, I didn't realise exactly how much of that space is taken up with my in depth <laughs> knowledge of the lore of Dragon Ball Z. Which I apparently have, uh, and this game it runs you through the whole story. Basically, right. it's it's a terrible game, right? It's a, it's it's not a very good game. It's boring and it's repetitive, um, but it means that you get to play, you get to watch Dragon Ball Z, but you get to press the buttons. Is essentially what it is. And if you, I don't know, were you ever a Dragon Ball Z guy? I so I've I've never watched it. Like right. it, I've never sat down and watched it, but I ha- it has been on. Like my friends have have have, have liked it, and I've played games. And yet, I, as a result of having been like a geek who was on the internet back when it started, I know an insane amount about Dragon Ball Z (laughs) and the lore and the ongoing stuff, even though I've I've never really watched it. (laughs) It's like, why do I know? Why do I know all of this stuff? Why do I know that we need to put our hands up to lend Goku our power? Uh, Why do I know... Like there's the Cell Saga, there's Free uh, Freezer, is yep. it? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Piccolo's the green one. He's got the antennas, yep. uh, hasn't he? Uh, and there's like a horny old man because it's a Japanese cartoon, so yeah, it's yeah. weird. <laughs> so in this game, you are you can there's sort of RPG elements to it as well, where there's a big cast of characters, but you really only kind of play as a few of them. But they're there to help you fight, and you can level them up by literally giving them gifts. Right. Um, and one of the gifts that you can give them that you find quite a lot of is fun book for adults. <laughs> 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 so basically, you, there's there's a character that if you just keep playing him with Paul, he's going to be very helpful in battle. I know that the horny old man trope from Dragon Ball Z was such, such he was such a popular character that somebody 
developed a like basically there's a there's a there's a, a first-person shooter from back very early, like in the very early days of computer games, like back when like Doom and called Kung Fu Warrior or something like that, where you basically play as a, a ver- that character, but yeah. who happens to be a ninja master. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> Master Roshi. He is the master of the turtle fighting school. <laughs> and uh, so the the way that Dragon Ball Z was made, or Dragon Ball as it as it was, just in case there's any super nerds listening, is that um. And then the, there's GT after. That one doesn't Z, count. <laughs> that one wasn't made by the original guy. It doesn't count. Um, so basically, the, the books were released weekly in Japan, uh, but they were all but they were drawn by one guy. And then one day he had an anchor come in. So the problem was this show was such a phenomenon. This is obviously a trope that everyone knows about it, is that basically you can sit and watch it for an hour and nothing will happen. <laughs> and you've done three episodes. But the problem was that they, could, they couldn't have the George R. R. Martin thing, so when they caught up with where he was in the books, they just had to pepper it with some bullshit. <laughs> but the problem was it was like, some, well, not the problem, but the, the thing is that the bullshit that they have to pepper it with, they can't do anything to the canon, so they essentially just had to make fun filler episodes. So the exact bit I am at in the game is when after Goku's defeated Frieza on planet Namek, that's exploded... A year later, Frieza and his dad arrive back on Earth. There's a mysterious young man who shows up. He's also a Super Saiyan. We don't really know who he is. He kills Frieza and he tells everyone, uh, in three years there's going to be an an attack on Earth from these androids. And I'm just here to tell you, if you don't put a stop to this right now, everything's going to go tits up, right? So they've got three years, but they had to do a filler episode for the next one. So the next episode is literally... Rather than training for the ultimate power androids who are arriving, Goku's wife uh, insists that Goku and Piccolo learn to drive. (laughs) (laughs) Even though they can fly. Because she can't fly and she is getting annoyed that she has to walk to get the groceries. And it's it's like regarded as one of the best episodes because it's just pure comedy and it's just these... An alien, two technically two aliens just have to learn how to drive a skill that they are literally never going to use. So I am currently learning to drive. So I don't, I don't know if this is still the case, but canonically, it, at a certain point, I can't remember when it was. It was established that Superman can't drive because he's never needed to. Yeah, but Superman has been able to give the impression that he could drive by sitting in the driving seat of a car and then just flying while he's in a seated position <laughs> and carrying the car with him. <laughs> it really, it, it, it is getting to the point, and I mean, Superman is kind of the antithesis of this, but um, we've had Spider-Man for 60 years and you have to constantly come up with new things for Spider-Man to do uh, because Disney have to keep making that merch dollar dollar. So I reckon in the coming years, we are going to see Spider-Man do some mental shit and realise that he has wee, real weird powers. He's going to lay an egg sack. Um, he now, in cano- canonically, has realised that he can keep his mask stuck to his face so people can't take it off. <laughs> but I love the fact that like Spider-Man... So this, is, so this has been established in World, is that... Spider-Man on on one I can't remember what it's happened to the COVID, but on one occasion, Spider-Man and Daredevil have to take a car somewhere, and Spider-Man 
has to get Daredevil to drive because Spider-Man has never learned how to drive. And if they break the windscreen, then Daredevil can still detect everything with his radar sense. <laughs> and it's the idea is that like Daredevil like went blind when he was like 12 or 13, but Daredevil's dad was a like a drunk New Jersey boxer. Yeah. So he'd like taught him the basics of operating a car when he was young, but nobody had taught Peter because his family couldn't afford to get like a car and Uncle Ben was responsible. So Spider-Man has no idea how to... Uh, yeah, I just think that's one of the most wonderfully dumb things I've ever heard. Uh, I, I would be sitting there going, it's not that hard to drive a, an automatic. I've recently gone down a rabbit hole on like some of the dumbest things that have happened, in, particularly with Daredevil, because he's a wonderfully weird character. And there's there's two great moments. There's a moment where him and Luke Cage are in the back of a, a like a, a high level SWAT van with some supervillain that they've just captured, and um, him and Luke Cage are having a conversation, and the person uh, that they've captured, the supervillain says uh why uh, goes um says something to like daredevil about like i don't know why you're so close with luke cage and he says i think it's because we're both black which makes luke cage crack up and the person he's talking to obviously has no idea why that's funny <laughs> and, and the other one is there's a spider-man villain um called blindside whose yeah. special power is that if he can touch you he can make you go blind and obviously that was a great Spider-Man villain because it was all about how Spider-Man relying just on the spider sense, like defeat him. And they have an episode where they have a thing where there's like there's a gang of them up against a gang of superheroes. And eventually, whilst the superheroes are pretty much laying waste to this gang, Blindside manages to get his hand out um, and lay a, uh, uh, lay, a, lay his hand on the ankle of of daredevil and goes ha ha he's blind lads get him now and then the next panel is just blindside being thrown out of a window (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, fantastic uh steven my brother sent me a a picture from a a comic the other day i think he's rereading secret wars at the moment all right okay Uh, love secret wars secret wars is amazing yeah uh yeah so it's a bit where uh Secret Wars, if you don't know, is about the, basically the, the universe. All of the universes explode, um, and the only place that's left to live is sort of an amalgam of different universes. So you've got like the zombie universe, you've got the cowboy universe, you've got the nineteen twenties jazz universe, um, but they're just like little contained bubbles of cities. Um, and uh, Stephen sent me it's a called pic- Battle World, isn't Battle it? Battle World, yeah. So he sent me one where it says, uh, I, d- "I can't tell who's talking, but someone's dialogue is." Well, surprise, surprise, Black Bolt's chatting up a pretty customer. I swear, he puts us to shame, Murdoch, and we are Irish, for doom's sake. And Stephen sent it with the concept, uh, with the comment, Plastic Paddy's making it to Secret Wars Battle World, despite there not being the concept of Ireland in that universe. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that Matt Murdoch gets a, a pass on being called a plastic paddy due to the fact that his entire motivation as a character is Catholic guilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. and it, right. Speaking of Catholic guilt. Speaking of guilt. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we got, it's Hollow Pursuits. It's, it's great. It's a great episode. Great. 
tremendous episode. This, if anyone has been watching, this is um, if this is your first time. If you don't, even if you're not watching Star Trek and you just listen to this, you might not know of the character of Barkley. If you're watching along with us for the first time, this is your first introduction to the character of Barkley. Barkley is, I would say, one of my not like he's one of my favourite like Star Trek characters. Like because he appears in some other, he pops up every now and then in other projects. I like him more than I like some of the bridge officers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he. Um... From what I understand, he's the guy who re-establishes contact with Voyager, right? Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, he, he gets a job working in a lab with no other people. <laughs> Doing something very important. Basically, it's been established that Vo- Voyager has established that it's there, and they know it's there. Starfleet knows that, and he's given the job of trying to like connect with them. And I think they can like communicate via subspace, and it's like... He's, he's like you can send us this much data once a year, once a month because uh, we've got enough power um, to do that. Yeah. But because because in a post scarcity society, power to run stuff is like the only resource that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. If so, how would you describe Barclay? I feel that's a fair place to start. Okay. I feel like Barclay was written. I didn't look up any of the Memory Alpha stuff for this episode. I really should have because I bet it was super interesting. Because I do no preparation for this podcast whatsoever. That's fine. Barclay, to me, feels like the writers <laughs> almost not making fun. That that wouldn't be... I, I don't think... I think it is very much done with love and affection. But it's basically telling the nerds who in the late 80s, early 90s were obviously the target audience for Star Trek that don't worry, yes, we understand that this is a fantasy, but you do need to see yourself represented on screen as losers. And so we're going to put this guy in who's quite shy and a bit of a loser and he's not super cool and he's not... He's 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 probably a bit nervous about going to the fuck planet Riker excursions once a week. He's nervous. He uh, he pref- He's very much an introvert. He prefers to be alone. A lot of intelligence. He's he's kind of a space incel, but not in a bad way. Yeah, but before they before incels could talk to each other over the internet and 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 yeah. rather than work on themselves, decided to blame society. <laughs> but I don't even think that's. I don't think he blames society for his ills. I think he's just shy. Yeah, and I and I I think it's a good it's a really good example because someone I read a post recently that was talking about what the different Star Treks are, like, in-universe. So someone said that, like, there's been a theory for a long time that Kirk's, that TOS is someone making Kirk's memoirs rather than us actually looking at the live right, okay. feed. And that kind of why it's all very stylized and, and aesthetically it's very different from the rest of them. And also why Strange New Worlds and Discovery kind of don't really match up. But then they said that TNG is the propaganda that Starfleet makes to sell Starfleet. Right, okay. It's it's not a full it's not a foolproof theory, but that that is a that is kind of what I see the, the theme of TNG as being. TNG is Gene's vision. Yeah. So it's interesting that they put in a character who works for an organization that they kind of almost want to portray as having gotten over every flaw. So it's interesting that they're like, no, some of these people are very flawed. They're just they're people. Yeah, there's people on their ship. It's it's nice. It's one of those weird places where 
occasionally real world technology. So, for example, they've done some stuff where they've had to affect the timeline of Star Trek to make up for the fact that like technology that exists in the real world, like the computer information age, wasn't predicted by Star Trek. Like you, you have to like make these li- like little concessions because they can't possibly predict what the actual future is going to be. And this is one of those occasions where it's like, well, in the real world, Barkley. Bartley would have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and yeah. and be on medication for that. But I I love Barkley because I think Barkley is I I non-ironically believe Barkley to be the best the best embodiment of the ideals of Starfleet because it's it's okay Worf isn't Worf's not particularly brave. Worf's just not scared of anything. Yeah. Barkley's scared of getting his coffee order wrong at the replicator, and yet he still decided to join Starfleet. And his service record is good enough that he gets to work on the flagship. Yeah. Yeah, that says something about the man's character. And first of all, absolute promotion to Picard. Oh, yeah. There is some excellent, not just captainship in this, but leadership. Yeah. When... Riker and Jordy come to him and say, "This guy Bartley, he ju- he's just a, a he's just an absolute fuck up. Why is he here?" And Picard's like, "Well, it's your job to make him not a fuck up. Like, it's, <laughs> like he chose this lifestyle. He obviously sees some appeal in it. Not only some appeal, but maybe some like noble goal in it. But he's just a different person from you. You, it's up to you, Jordy." You, you fucking... I mean, surely you must have some things in common. You are an absolute weird pervert as well. So, like, I'm sure you can latch on to something to talk to this guy about. But I, you're, you you are his leader. You have to make him your best friend because that's clearly how this guy's going to get some confidence about him. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I agree. That, that is an interesting way to look. I, I also think we, we should have mentioned it's, it's Butley is played by Dwight Shorts. Who it was? Uh, if you look at his known for, it's this and his, his fucking face from the A team. <laughs> no, he's Mudlock. He's uh, Howling uh, Howling Mudlock. Mudlock. Yeah, not face. Face yeah. was the one who was in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was it. And in, great show. and and I feel like it, it would behoove us uh, to mention uh, in real life. Bit of a fuckhead, old Dwight Schultz. He's he's very. You can't see anything these days. Oh, is he right? Yeah. Which, unfortunately, a lot of Star Trek actors... Not a lot. Him and Shatner. Yeah. Kate McGrew don't like abortion. <laughs> right, okay. Which, fine. But, yeah, okay. If, you, if, you, if you're if you only going to... If you're, if you're non-problematic, apart from one thing, <laughs> and it is a real, genuine, deeply held belief... Yeah. Fine. Yeah. That's all right. I know that Kate... I, I have a lot of time for Kate McGrew just because she was tricked into doing the voiceover of a um, documentary about um, geocentrism which is the belief that the earth is at the centre of the universe but if you actually look at all of the lines of dialogue she recorded it becomes very clear that it's worded in such a way that she couldn't have possibly known what the project she was working on is yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) so but yeah Dwight Dwight Schultz is a a genuinely funny actor um, and he manages to play quite a range of this because obviously you get Barkley is the the fuck up basically but also in the holodeck which is what this is about is basically he's addicted to what we quite a chaste version of what we have posited would exist <laughs> um is he's got his own little holodeck like program where he's put all of the all of the crew 
in, including as a, there's some great bits. There's the sword fight he has with Data, Geordie, and Picard as the three musketeers. Yep. Uh, Wesley's in it as just a rude git because he is. Yeah. Um, I quite like that he actually says, "I shouldn't be taking orders for a 70 year old child." <laughs> it's like you, you are correct, Starfleet Officer Barkley. You shouldn't. Uh, and I also like yep. Short Riker. <laughs> Yep, that was funny. Yep, uh, and it's established, right? Okay, I had, I took this down as an actual as actual notes because it is established. Riker says it's against protocol to simulate other people, uh, crewmates specifically, in the holodeck, and and Geordie specifically says, actually, it's not. <laughs> yeah, he very quickly adds that and. <laughs> Yeah, as if he's been waiting for someone to bring that up. Yeah, he does. He brings he brings up. Uh, I was going to say Leah Betts, but that's the that's the the, the girl that died from an ecstasy overdose. Yeah, she went to she went to she, it wasn't ecstasy. Her family flooded her body by giving her too much water. Uh, she was from yeah. A, look up on Wikipedia. Yeah, she was from yeah. a school near mine. Um, so yeah, really, yeah. yeah. That name, like, if you if you meet anyone, any sort of mid-aged millennial mm-hmm. who went to a state school in the UK, um, if you bring up the name, especially people who have maybe partied in their 20s, if you bring up Leah Betts, they will immediately know who that is. Yeah, Leah Betts was to um, ecstasy what the satanic panic was to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> what an excellent PR campaign. <laughs> oh, did you catch the fucking Back to the Future reference in this episode? The Flux Capacitor. Flux capacitor. I wrote it down. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's like, there's nothing wrong with the Flux Capacitor. Because, so, the first scene of this is that they're down in the cargo deck and there's some sort of containers with medicine in them yeah. that are on an anti-grav platform. And uh, beyond, and, and some one of them is broken, so it's leaking fluid. Yeah. Barkley is then assigned to figure out what's wrong with the anti-grav platform and he, and he can't do it. He can't figure out he's taking it apart, he's he's sort of putting it back together, he's doing all the diagnostics. He can't figure out what's wrong with it. But then weird shit starts happening all over the Enterprise. Yeah. There's a bit where the engineers are sitting in the bar and the guy who picked up the, the, the leaking container Oh, what, you mean uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Duffy? Oh, Lieutenant Duffy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What a prick! Yeah. Um, also, and he picks up. Also, roasts. He picks up a glass. He roasts Barkley, Lieutenant Duffy. He calls him broccoli. He's the first person to do that in the episode. Sitting there, oh, yeah. roasting people. <laughs> Fucking Duffy. <Yeah. laughs> what do you think roast battles are like on the? And on, do you think Ten Forward has a roast battle night every Friday at eleven pm? Oh, that's <laughs> Guinan's here. Look at that big hat, eh? Anything to take the attention away from the old face, eh, Guinan? <laughs> nah, you're all right. <laughs> well, there's Riker. Everybody watch out. <laughs> Lock up your mothers and daughters. <laughs> and their mothers. And anyone else you might know. Right. His only weakness, a high-backed chair. <laughs> nah, you're all right. Oh, Jordy's come in to see us, I see. Well, nah, you're all right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. Um. Oh, there's Wesley's mum. 
you're not eight. <laughs> There's Wesley's mum. She's uh, the person who looks after you. Uh, did look after her own son for a year, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. Is this just Pulaski? Yeah. Is she the? Is she, that's her new job. She's the roast battle horse. It's yeah. She's right. They. It's called roast battle night. But if you go in, it's just Pulaski. <laughs> and I and I and I met O'Brien's there. Yeah. O'Brien's operating the sound. He's like a cow. Whoopah! Yeah. Gaining every five minutes, bringing him a fresh Guinness. <laughs> Speaking of O'Brien, O'Brien watch. Uh, yeah. We get O'Brien gets a decent a little a decent little scene uh, where he notices that the transporter is fucking things up. Yeah, uh, and uh, what, what it really what it really pointed out to me because there's a, there's an internet trope as well. There's a bit of a meme that O'Brien's job on the Enterprise is essentially pointless. Right. Yeah. Because it, it we they can beam from anywhere on the Enterprise. They they don't really and any I guess they can do it from the bridge. Uh, so he just, yeah, I used to like he. So the, the meme is he just stands there all day. But that, that guy probably, I wrote in here, he he probably does have a pretty full day testing stuff. Yeah, like he probably has to do that quite a lot. The transport on a ship where they have a, a leisure facility that is actively trying to murder them at all times. <laughs> the transporter is absolutely the most dangerous thing on board that ship. And it's used like a lift. Like it's it's yeah. not like it's not used that. Like we see it. The, the Enterprise gets see that we see the transporter a lot from like our perspective, but you've got to assume that like other members of the crew, like the transporter room three. So, assuming that the ship has a symmetrical design, there's at least four transporter rooms, right? And there's loads of people beaming up and beaming down. Like when they arrive at a planet, it's like, oh well, like I'm going to go meet the ambassador. It's like I'm certain that other people on board the Enterprise have other shit to do whilst they're there. Um, and I get beamed up and beamed down, and it's all going on constantly, and it can utterly smear you across space, or combine mm-hmm. you into two separate people, or on certain occasions, beam you to the past, uh, yeah. or the mirror dimension. <laughs> make you a little kid. <laughs> can make you a little kid. That does also happen once. <laughs> to O'Brien's wife, nice. because Cause... Cause that man cannot have a second of happiness. <laughs> But Riker, Riker tells him, "Yeah, this is gobbed. So uh, no more transport. So, so, you know, no, no more transport for the rest of the day until we figure out the power conduits or whatever." And I'm like, "Does that mean O'Brien gets a couple of hours off?" No, you see, I, I would if I, if it was me, yeah. But you know that O'Brien, they, they, what's actually happened there is they've gone. Well, obviously, you need to take the entire transporter apart and put it back together again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and see what it is. And it turns out it's it's the thing that was in the container that broke is on their like hands and it's being spread around the ship, and that's why it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and then they yeah they like eventually like wind it down to being like it could be one of like four elements that aren't scanned for that could be available. That are, like yeah, it's like it's pretty clever how they work it all yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, how it's- Barclay works it all out. This is a great episode. So, Nvidium, Nvidium is what it is. I've got that written down. There you go, Mike uh, from Red Letter Media, who Laura will know as the guy who is the arbiter of all my opinions <laughs> on things. Him and Rich Evans were talking about it, and they were saying that uh, first of all, that they hate the concept of Section Thirty One, which I 
I agree with. I I don't like that. I think I think it's dumb that this utopia needs to have like a black ops thing. Like, nah, nah, don't need that. Uh, I will accept it if it is revealed that that is why Mbenga is a fucking remorseless killing Badass. machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> yet to be a bad episode of Strange New Worlds. The the worst ones have been okay. The best ones have been some of the best Star Trek. It's, it's insane how good Strange New Worlds is. I don't know how they've done it. Did you watch the crossover? Uh, yes, I did. Even though I have that. not watched any of Lower Decks, I've... You're going to love Lower Decks. I... I, I do thoroughly I did thoroughly enjoy it it was it was great yeah absolutely loved it especially the bit about how Pike like Boimler dressed as Pike for Halloween yeah, it's like, yeah there was yeah it's, it's very Could good get a hill right yeah and I like how um, he was worried he'd broken Spock it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh. also the, the, the bit where he gets on the saddle and he, he shouts Riker <laughs> as he gets up on it apparently that was an ad lib <laughs> On set, uh, Jonathan Frakes, who directed the episode, has said that when he did that, it made his wife start crying. <laughs> I think they should have done a thing where Boimler just had every time he got into a chair, like both of them should have just done that, and then just had like the Pike go, "Why didn't you just sit in the chair normally?" And have him go, "Oh, it's a thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll find out in the future. Well, not you. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so the point was that Star Trek, at its core, should be smart people solve a problem. Yeah. They use their brains to solve a problem, and that's exactly what this is. And it's and Bartley who's very nervous, but so, so the the through line of, of this episode really is tro- with Troy. Yes. And it's the I, I feel like the point of this episode, the theme of this episode is the idea of different types of intelligence and how they manifest. So at the at the super important meeting, because the Enterprise is going to fucking explode, because this, this chemical is making the, the warp engines go into overdrive, and once it hits a certain point, the ship's just going to fall apart. Uh, so they have to have a super secret meeting of all the engineers and Dr. Crusher's son and <laughs> teenage son. And Bartley is the one who suggests Georgie says like there is no idea too crazy like just just start spitballing and he's the one who suggests maybe it's us like we we assume that it's a systemic problem but we are part of that system so maybe it is us that are doing it and of course it turns out to be correct I feel like a lesser show and this goes down to something that I've written that I, I think you would want to discuss a lesser show would have just made this guy a punchline yeah, but everyone essentially is on his side, right? Even though Riker's pretty angry with him because Riker's the chief of staff and he doesn't want a fucking idiot on board his ship. But even he is like, we have to get this guy to do this right because the ship doesn't work if there's any least like broken links in the uh, chinks in the armor or whatever. What I was wondering, so that this is one thing I wrote down while I was watching the episode, and it was pretty. It's an early note, so it was pretty early in the episode, I said, will the same anti-nerd stigma exist in the future if everyone is pursuing personal betterment? Will nerds still be ostracised for their interests? Because when this, when this one was made in the 90s, I mean, you've all... If, you, if you're younger than us, you've seen movies set in the 90s, right? That's barely an exaggeration. Nerds were 
not tolerate. Yeah, if you if you uh, are like younger than us and you have a comic book shop in your like local town, you will go in there and you'll regularly find men in their fifties who don't buy anything and just spend all day hanging around. And that reason, the reason that they're there is that historically that was the only safe place for them to be without getting like the yeah. shit kicked out of them. Like it would, it, yeah. So. Um, I do think that this does a good job of, of saying it's not the pursuit of your specific nerdy interests. Because for a, a large part, nobody has anything truly nerdy. I think Tom Paris is into old movies and stuff. Um, one of I said this last week. One of the Enterprise crew is specifically yeah. into old movies. I think it's true. Yeah, so you don't have... like. I suppose if you've got a comic book collection, you leave it at, at home on Earth. Um, so it's yeah. I think this is more like taking the the archetype of the person who doesn't have the social skills, which was inexorably linked to nerd nerdy culture. Because basically, the the, the self fulfilling prophecy was if you liked comic books and nerdy things, you had bad social skills. But that's mainly because other people didn't want to talk to you while you were young, so you couldn't develop them. Um, yeah, yeah. This this really brought to mind a, a lad I went to school with. I'm, I'm not going to name him because I, I, he might listen to this because he, he was he was a, he was a huge help. He was he was very smart. But he he was like in my year at school. He was he was the nerd. He was the number one big old nerd. Right. Looking back on it, it's clear that the guy had some kind of ASD. Right. Yeah. Pretty fucking blatant. Right. And like even I, as a nerd who in school in the nineties and the two thousands, basically had to learn to mask my own interests. <laughs> like, if you. If you meet anyone now who has spent more than, say, 15 minutes with me, you could ask them what my favourite movie is and they'll probably know. <laughs> but I went... For, for years in school, I was like, no one wants to talk about movies, no one wants to talk about video games. Everyone just pretends to be into fucking sport and we're all just... Bullshit. This guy was was like super into very nerdy stuff. Like he would read Star Trek books in the library at lunch and stuff like that. And and at the time, I and I I actually genuinely feel pretty guilty about this uh, as an adult. I, I never tried to in, like engage with him in any way because I was I was never bullied really at school for being a massive nerd. Partly because I hid it, and partly because I was socially intelligent enough to kind of get along with basically everybody on some level. But I was like, I was hanging by a thread. Like, they, if they found my secret comic collection, I was done for, right? Uh, so I never tried to really to engage with this guy because I thought, I don't want him pulling me into his nerd gravity. <laughs> Which is fucking horrible. But uh, but I, I hope I hope he's doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, no, yeah. If you're out there, Jerry, I, I, hope, you're, I, hope, you're, I hope you're doing well, man. I... He, he that that dude was like destined for NASA or something. <laughs> or maybe he's writing Star Trek now. Good on you. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I I maybe. Uh, but let's think. Like it's that uh, it's that nerdy <laughs> type of person. Because this is the thing as well. By nature of what the show is about, Barkley can't just be a punchline because yeah. he has to be a fully qualified Starfleet officer which we know takes him up to a certain level uh, he's a lieutenant to like yeah. to put him because if he was an ensign he'd be like doing grunt work you know we wouldn't he wouldn't be at the point where he'd be 
interacting with Geordie and Riker. So so he has to be at that level. And also he's on the flagship of the fleet. Yeah. So to, if you it, it it would strain credulity for him to be a complete fuck up with no redeeming qualities. So you kind of have to address and that. Because the the first note I took was literally how did this guy get a job on the Enterprise? But Picard sets it out. He he says, "Oh, I have excellent recommendations." Yeah. From the other ships that this guy was on. He has an excellent engineer. But Riker does bring up the aspect on that, which is maybe they were giving him good recommendations to get him promoted off their ship, which is an interesting, would be an interesting idea, but I'm glad it's not that. It's that, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I really love, I, I this episode must have been a blast to make, just because of the everybody getting to play the holodeck version of themselves is fun. But yeah. and I like they go into the holodeck originally, and Geordie sort. Geordie already knows what's going on with Reg, and so he's got to go there into to look where Barkley is with Riker, and they get uh, they first first and they run into is the, the holodeck version of Riker who is short, and Riker's like, oh, we need to turn this off immediately. And then Troy, who finds Short Riker very amusing, is like, "Well, no, actually, this is as a as a counselor. This is perfect. I need to see this. This is information I need for Barclay's counselling." And then they go into the next stage of the, and then they run into the holographic version of Troy. And then Troy's like, "We should end the program." <laughs> like Riker yeah. and Riker and Jordy at that point, are like, "Well, no, we're getting some useful information." <laughs> and I like that she doesn't then like override them. She's like, "No, actually, yeah, you've made a good point. This is still this is deeply uncomfortable for all of us, but it is important information about the psychological well-being of a crew member." <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, I, I also love how this episode ends. Which is with him like saying goodbye to everybody on the on the thing, and then it's a it's a he's saying goodbye to the the hologram versions, yeah. Which I like because a, a less again a lesser show, you could have very easily written off Barkley after this and had him go, oh, like it wouldn't even need to be in a negative way. Just have him go, oh, the the thing we discovered with the neutridium, uh, the neutridium is really interesting. I've been seconded to the Daystrom Institute to do more development of that and then you write that character off but they actually went no it's an interesting we can have more fun with this guy we should keep him around yeah and i i really like that because we do get more barkley episodes in the future and i and i genuinely think they're all they're all great (laughs) yeah yeah i i can't really remember i i haven't seen them but i i know that he gets he gets another couple of showcases on tng yeah he becomes super intelligent at one point in yeah. the future, um, which is it tied in with him also playing, he's playing Bergerac in uh, a play that Bev is directing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird episode, that one. But yeah, I just, um, I, I love this episode yeah. so much. So do I. Yeah. I, think, I mean, we've, we've touched on it before, but the, I guess it, it, we, we would be, you know, it would be not great to touch on the ethical implications. <laughs> yeah, of making essentially pawn of your crewmates. I I think they do two things very well in this episode, which is uh, they this is a plausible fantasy that somebody would make without getting without getting into the suspect. These are highly evolved future people who yeah. are mentally at a point where 
like probably wouldn't care that somebody was doing this and there's probably a very strictly enforced like social actually there is probably a very strictly enforced like social rule about what you do and don't do in the in the holodeck and Bar- and even Barkley in his weird messed up way is not going to cross that line. I did. I did note one thing about this, which is I genuinely believe Barkley would have a much better life if, instead of the holodeck, somebody on board the Enterprise was running a D and D game. He, yeah. he would love that like fantasy outlet. It would help him grow. And I realise we've never seen that on any Star Trek. That's like anyone's downtime is them playing really? a tabletop RPG. And I want to see that now, and I can only think that Strange New Worlds is the only format. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I've seen panels from a comic where Cisco, Bev, and Lieutenant Shax from I think Lieutenant Shax from Lower Decks have an ongoing tabletop right okay D game. Okay, that's yeah. That seems great. And they and they talk about the. If I recall from seeing it in the panels, I think it was on Reddit that I saw it. They, they someone asked them like, you know, you could go into the holodeck and just make this all real. And I think it's Bev says that's not that's not the point though. That's not what we're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I could see. I could see like on Strange New Worlds is a great one. I could see, like, I could see him doing an episode where. Like nurse, I, I could see it being an episode where, for example, uh, Spock finds out that there's a game, and yeah. they're, they're like, "Actually, you should come. This is an it would be an interesting exercise for you." And I could like you know, something. I couldn't see. I can't see like I couldn't see. I could see uh, Una number one. I could see her playing. I could see. I, I could see Ahura playing, and I can see Lahan getting thoroughly annoyed with people for not doing the rules properly (laughs) and I I think I could see Nurse Chapel maybe running it (laughs) yeah Um, yeah but I think that would be a fun little episode I guess and because I think kind of inside baseball sort of meta game in here fiction would have a huge stock in the future because you know there's you have an a, a, a huge amount of free time even the even the people on the Enterprise presumably have a large amount of free time. Consuming fiction would probably take up quite a lot of that. Yeah. But the thing is, obviously, they already live in what we perceive to be a start a science fiction future. So, the looking at it from an outside, from a writer's perspective, you wouldn't want to have your characters do any science fiction fictioning. Yeah. Because any idea that you can come up with that would be cool enough to put in that, the fans would just ask, why isn't that just a real thing that's existing in this futuristic setting anyway? What what's the point? So you would have a lot of characters that would do like fat like fantasy, I imagine, would be massive. Yeah. In the Star Trek universe. Because it's not only because the 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 their everyday life is filled with magic. Well, the, space magic, space head magic. We know for a fact that, like Picard, Picard. So Picard, like the works of Shakespeare, are are like cannot like are quoted a lot. And people forget Shakespeare did write fat, like Midsummer Night Dream has like the Prince of the Elves and what like it, the, he wrote fantasy. It just yeah. wasn't his main genre. Um, so it, people forget about it. But yeah, somebody I, I find it. 
like this is one of those weird frustrating things like the things that get referenced in Star Trek and the things that don't and it seems mental to me that we've never had a Star Trek character whose favourite book is The Lord of the Rings like it just seems crazy given yeah. how popular it is in, in now times like I get why you I, can't have a character whose favourite like fictional world is Batman I get that and I get that we can't do that like that's fine but it should be one like there's there's plenty of times when a good Tolkien quote would be as good as a there's there's must have been an occasion where not all those who wander are lost could have been dropped into conversation and made somebody feel very very wise uh is that a Tolkien quote yeah not all those who wander wander are lost is from it's yeah it's from the I think it's from the Hobbit um, really? Yeah, it's, uh, it's originally. Yeah, it's, wow. it's, I think it's Gandalf who says it. Have you uh, have you watched the the, the newest uh, Map Men episode um, with Jay Foreman and and the other one? Uh, I have, but I've forgotten it. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a bit where they're talking about it, the, the 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 point the 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 episode is about why are why is North up on? Oh maps. yeah, yeah. Um, and they say that it wasn't always the case. In fact, back in the day. Uh, when east was the most important direction, because it's the direction the sun came up in, so it's the easiest one to ascertain. The east was always at the top on maps, and that's where we get the word orientation. Orientation oh, means towards yeah. the east, hence the word the orient, right? And, and then in the video, it cuts to a guy looking at his phone going, Oh! <laughs> Which is exactly the sound that I made when he said it and that you just made it. <laughs> <laughs> Although nothing will ever beat the joke that's from an episode of Unfinished London where Jay Foreman is talking about a blue screen. Um, and in order to illustrate this, he stands in front of a green screen that's been turned into blue. It's, and it, and it, it's, it's hard to describe visually. But it's like you can see the artifacts of the green around him. You can see what he's done, and it's such a perfect joke. If if you are not watching, if you don't subscribe to the YouTube channel of um, of uh, Jay Foreman, uh, who weirdly is Beardy Man's brother, for his oh. his unfinished London um, videos um, are amazing, and at, they should be on telly. At, like at, they're they're that good. Like uh, when Matt Lucas turned up as the bloke from Hounslow. <laughs> I absolutely lost my shit. He's he's genuinely great. He's had Adam he's had Adam Blompier from No Rolls Bard turn up in a video in a full mask. <laughs> so like, yeah, he's it's it's some of the best stuff. Some of the best. I, I was going to say it's some of the best stuff. Some of the best stuff on YouTube that isn't Tom Scott. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's a question. So one of the the Duffy Lieutenant Duffy. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the one of the anomalies that they discover is that he has replicated a drink at the bar, and his hand starts to melt into the glass. Yes. Later, Jordy says, "They say it can't be a problem with the replicators because if it was, it would have affected the liquid inside as well." And this light ale seems to be pretty fine. And the whole time I was sitting there going, "Who the fuck has ice and ale?" Especially when what's the point? You assume you can ask for it cold. Yeah. <laughs> like you can you can get it. You could literally. If you felt like it, well, from the replicator, you could order your like that. You could, I'll have it. I'll have my beer served at one degree Kelvin. Like I, I wouldn't recommend doing it, <laughs> but it's one of the things you could ask. I just want you to replicate this with all the molecules moving real fucking slow. Like that's you. You could or yeah, and instead go. Oh, what a big block of ice in it. That's a weird drink order. 
maybe that's uh, it, it, that's the thing as well though because it's a it's clearly a human it's, it's a light ale from earth maybe in the future maybe the ice was like a different things like oh no if you freeze a shot of romulan ale <laughs> drop that in your beer uh, <laughs> we call that's... we call that the cloaking device uh... <laughs> i'll take one sneaky romulan bastard please <laughs> Budweiser with frozen ale, uh, frozen Romulan ale. Actually, yeah. the, the, you know, so I was going to say, in, in Strange New Worlds, they, in the um, the crossover episode, they had the thing about it being offensive in the future to assume that all Orans are space pirates. I like the idea that there is no point in the history of the entire known galaxy where if you go, like if you got, trans- if, if somebody from TNG got transported 60,000 years into the future and was like, oh, those sneaky Romulan bastards, everybody would be like, yep, you know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something else I wanted to discuss. So Barkley in his, in his, like, holodeck, he can make it wherever he wants, but he's sword fighting, and, and he's not a hologram. Yeah. So his sword fighting skill, that's a real skill that Barkley has. Yeah. So my question is, to what level... In Starfleet, is there this level of like cross training? Like, how much security training does Barkley have? Well, in the Abrams movie, which is like is is questionably canon because the one of the kind of points that it brings up is that the the destruction of I can't remember what the name of the ship is that oh it's the Kelvin yeah, the that's Kelvin. why it's called the Kelvin timeline. Uh, the destruction of the Kelvin at that point by the Romulans with the Borg technology obviously makes Starfleet different. It makes it kind of a bit more militaristic. Yeah. Uh, they build bigger ships. That's why the Enterprise is a lot bigger and stuff. Uh, but at one point, Sulu, it gets... Who has it asked? I, can't, I think it's Pike asked, who has combat training? Sulu puts his hand up and then he says, what was your combat training? And he goes, fencing. They they probably do it quite... I mean, again, I, like the, the thing about Star Trek is that because they live in a post-scarcity society, even when you think about them going to university or college or something, they wouldn't have to work other than that. But they are still going to have to find things to fill in the time. So they probably all are fairly decent at... Yeah. some kind of weird skill. So the fencing thing, the fencing's cool. Is um, that specifically a reference to the fact that Sulu could do that in the original series? I don't know yeah. how many episodes it turns up as a like a useful skill in, but so and he's ops, which is mm-hmm. um, and but yeah. So I I, I imagine it's like because so you've got to assume that your medical staff have to have basic combat training because you need them at certain points to be field medics yeah so you'd need them to be able to have that skill set so they so that probably means that all your science officers like i imagine it's it's that thing of like there's an episode later on where picard gets trapped in a lift and he knows exactly how to take the like lift apart and like to do everything mm-hmm. and like what he, cables and stuff he can use and i'm assuming that's because even if you're doing the command track you still have to do you know like your course selection at the academy you still need to do introductory to warp mechanics you know uh yeah. design 101 and i imagine that you, that that comes through that like if you're in so it's three years to do starfleet academy 
I think, has been established. And it's so I assume that's three years where you've got to at least complete a basic strategy and like and, and combat, which must be the weirdest training in the world, right? Okay, here's how you yeah. do a fight against how you would fight against a, a, a like hand to hand. This comes here's how you fight an an ineffable space beast. Uh, <laughs> that has the yeah. powers of a god. You ever been struck by lightning? Could happen. Here's <laughs> <laughs> how you fight lightning. Is how you fight lightning in zero G. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably because I guess there is that. Thing. Obviously, Star Trek is a is a utopian vision, but Starfleet they they'd still have to be like, yeah, we are going out there to explore. That's kind of our main raison d'être. But also, space is dangerous. So, like, can, we know canonically of I think well three wars have happened because there's Mm -hmm. been the Klingon war which was in Discovery and is felt still in like the original series there's the Cardassian war which leads to the deoccupation of Bajor and then there's the Dominion war is the only one that happens like on screen that we actually see yeah so yeah there um there have been three wars so you've got to assume that your average is like we are explorers but sometimes what we find is like Aggie cunts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Yeah. It's a great episode, this one, though. Great episode. Great episode. Absolutely stellar um, yeah. I'll tell you, it gets a demotion. Wesley. You're a fucking 16 year old kid, Wesley. You're lucky to be fucking serving in engineering. Don't go around giving people fucking nicknames and fucking absolute rude little cunt bastard that you are. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're big Wesley apologists on this podcast, but at the same time, he's been an awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, bye. Yeah, bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at Real Mark O'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>